welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in that section of the Gospel referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. We've been there for a couple of months now and we got about another month to go and then we'll be out of the Sermon on the Mount and into the rest of this amazing Gospel. So Matthew chapter 6. In this in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we start with the Beatitudes, and then we shift into a section that gives us a series of, of short things, short paragraphs, short um, little kind of brief topics that deal with different principles that apply to us as believers, that all of us as believers were called by God to walk in his kingdom with certain things as the basis for what we do and why we do it. And so we understand, we understand what the basic principles are, then we know how, how to behave, right? How to do it in a way that glorifies God. Now we as believers, do we understand? We should understand that we don't decide that, right? We don't decide what is the right way to live in Christ's kingdom, right? It's his kingdom. He is what? King. Say it. King. He's the king. He's Lord. He's God. He decides what's right. And if we understand that, then we also understand there's another side of that that we understand. If we are walking in his kingdom in a way that aligns with his principles, then he's going to, then we're going to see him acting on our behalf in ways that, um, that are good. And so we're going to get into a couple more of those. We've looked at seven so far, and we're going to look at three more this morning. Well, let's pray, and then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us get it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place, this time. We thank you, Lord, for your people being here. And we ask, Lord God, as we uh, continue to get into this series on in the Gospel of Matthew, that you would use it to, to help us to live a life that is in alignment with your principles, that we, would, that we would allow your spirit to move in us and to show us those places, those things that are out of alignment and maybe hindering our relationship with you and thus uh, 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 diminishing our experience of the good that you have for us, God. And so I ask, Lord, for, Lord, that we might, that we might walk in your principles and by walking your principles, we bring more glory to you that we be, become a greater blessing to others, and that faith grows, both ours and others. We love you, we praise you, we lift it up to you in Jesus' name, amen. So, as a non-liturgical, 
evangelical church, as, not, as, as a church that doesn't follow a, a given liturgy, meaning a, a, a series of instructions on how to do church, right? That's what a liturgical church is. They have a whole list of things. This is how you do this, this is how you do that, and whatnot. Um, you know, we, we define faith, as our faith, as a relationship rather than as a religion, so that we, we see that the most important thing is who we are with God, that, that it, it's all about our relationship to God, that that's the main thing, that we don't focus on the, the doings, the religion part of it, that's not the main thing. The main thing is the relationship. Now, what that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we don't do religious things, because we do. As believers, we do things that would be described as religious and so we need to understand that. And what Jesus is going to say to us, there's some of these things that we ought to be doing that, that as, as, as a natural byproduct of our relationship to God as Christ followers, there are certain things that we're going to do. But what's important is why we do it. The motivation behind it is what's really important. It's, and this is, this is really key. And I was thinking about this while we're worshiping. I do actually think about things while we're worshiping. It's weird. It just, they just come into my mind. I can't stop them. I'm worshiping too, but you know, then God's speaking to me. That, that this is so important to us because you know, sometimes we come to these things that we're doing and, and we're gonna, we'll criticize ourselves. You know, I don't pray right. I don't pray often enough. I don't pray well enough. And so we start to criticize ourselves and say, I'm not, I'm not doing this or that. The other thing. Now, now, there may be some truth to that. Maybe we don't. But the thing I want us to understand is that it's the motivation that matters more than the doing of the thing. That if our heart, God, I want to do these things in a way that glorifies you. That's what he wants. He, he's going to evaluate us based on that and then on the doing. But if we're, if we're focused on the doing and not on the heart, not on the motivation, not on the reasoning, then we're missing the whole point of, of what we're doing. Then it becomes religious and no longer is useful to us. So chapter six is gonna begin with three of these religious duties and, and that's the way we're gonna address them. We're gonna address them as duties, things that we ought to be doing. Two of them we're going to be pretty familiar with. One of them, for most of us, is not that common, not that familiar to us. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the, to the end of the message. But Christ's words are not about how to do these things, but the motivation behind them, the, the motives that are, that are driving us to do them. Uh, a commentator, Ivor Powell, said this, religion can be a highway to the heart of God, who wants to be on the highway to the heart of God? I do. I want, I want to be on the sixth lane wide, you know, in a, a brand new Corvette at top speed, you know, on my, on my way to the heart of God. A road along which the faithful travel, or it can be a stage upon which insincere worshipers display their virtue. This is the issue. That, that, and, and often, those on the outside may not be able to see it, but God can. If we come, if we're coming, we're doing the things that we're doing, we're worshiping, and we're, you know, we're doing our things so that other people can see how amazing we are. Look how religious Rick is. He's so amazing. 
That's the wrong motivation. I want God to see me. I want him to hear me. I want him to, to experience me in a way that's designed purely for him. Now, I, I'm going to do it publicly because I'm called to do it publicly, but that can't be my reason for doing it. It has to be a better reason than just so that other people can see me. And this is, this is for all of us. You know, the, even sincere Christ followers can be lulled into complacency on this topic. We can get so used to doing certain activities, they no longer carry the meaning and the intent and the heart that God wants for them. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm one of those ones, you, you've heard it, Randy has said it, several people have said it, what should we do with our Bible every single day? Read it. Can you do that religiously? Yeah. Meaning, you know, we, we interpret that word two different ways. Religiously means we do it, we do it faithfully. But another way, we do it as an, as an act of religion. And it no longer becomes this, this interaction with the heart and mind and will of God. God's word is his love letter to us. It's his, it's his, it's his expression of, you know, his self-revelation. He's revealing himself to humanity, and he does it in this book. And we, and we ought to go to this book because, I, God, I want to know you. Where am I going to find out about you? In your book. That's why I read it. That's why I read it every day. Almost. I missed one periodically. But I make a point. I'm going to do whatever I can to read my Bible every single day. Even when I go away, carry my Bible with me, I'm going to read it because I want that interaction. with. Not so I can be religious, not so I can check it off, not so I can go, oh no, no, I have to repent because I didn't read my, no, none of that. I want to know my God better. And that's how I need to approach it when I go to sit down because it's the first thing I do in the morning. And I can do that out of habit. It is habit to me. I've done it for 20 years I've done it. And so it can become a, a very habitual thing. I just do it because that's what I've always done. But that doesn't make it right. That doesn't even make it good. And I want something out of that experience. I want to know God better. Because when I know God better, it changes my whole life. And that's what I want. So kingdom principle number eight. We've been through seven, so this is number eight. Be charitable. Matthew 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Who wants a reward from God? A reward from the Father in heaven. We should all want that. You know why? Because he offers them. He gives them. They're available to all of his people. And some of them are amazing and abundant and rich and glorious and awesome. We should want every single reward that God has for us, every one. Now, we don't do anything for the reward, but we should be okay with the fact that God wants to give us rewards. Now, the key to understanding this and, and the rest, really the rest of this text, is the phrase, before men to be seen by them. This is a warning in this particular one, not to do your charitable deeds, your giving, your, in the, using biblical terms, your alms, your alms giving, not to do that to draw attention, the attention of people toward you. 
because that's what Jesus is dealing with. The, the Jews of his time, they, they were, they were and part, it was part of their culture to help people with charity. That, that written right into the law of the law of Moses is that people were to take care of the poor. What people? All people. Anybody who could was required by the law to take care of the poor, to help the poor. You'll always have the poor, Jesus said. You'll always have the poor among you. And it was, it was the mandate of the law of Moses for the people to do it. Well, anytime, anytime you take a good thing and lay it out there and say, okay, here's a good thing you ought to do. You know what people do with it? They mess it up. They mess it up. They turn it into a religion or they turn it into some, some expression of, of self-righteousness. And that's what they were doing. It's interesting here because Jesus said something earlier. He says, don't do your deeds so that they can be seen by men. But just the last chapter in Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In Matthew 5, he says, let people see your good deeds. And here he says, oh, don't let them see it. It's kind of like, you know, don't do it before men kind of a thing. Here's, here's what he's trying to communicate. If we are tempted to hide our light, the light of God in us, the light of, of good deeds that he wants us to do. If we're tempted to hide those things for fear of opposition, we need to focus on Matthew 5:16. If we want to do all of those things, all of those things that are good so that other people notice us, then we need, we need Mark, Matthew 6:1. So it's all about the motive. If your motive is fear, then Matthew 5.16 applies. If your, if your motivation is pride, then Matthew 6.1 applies. Jesus then tells, them, tells us what not to do. Verse two, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. The image there is that, is that to get the attention of the poor, they would blow this trumpet and said, hey, 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 we're, gonna, we're, giving, we're giving tacos away today, so, you know, come out and get some free tacos. And they blow these trumpets. Well, the problem is they weren't doing it just to draw the, the poor. They were doing it to draw attention. I am giving free tacos today, whatever it is. They I don't think they had tacos back then. Maybe they did. I don't know. But it was, it was a sign of pride that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say they have, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Israel, Israel's government didn't have systems where millions of people could stay home and not do anything. It's not the way, that's not the way it operated. In, 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 the, in their system, their culture, people helped people. And that's, that's probably a better system. You know, it's God's system, so I'm pretty sure it was a better system. But the hypocrites, those who were, you know, that were putting on a show, because that's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite was an actor. They would wear a mask to hide their face, and the, the mask would kind of give it a, an expression of whatever it is they were trying to communicate in their acting. 
And, you know, so they would, so that's what, that's what he's saying, that you're all actors. You're just acting. You're not doing it for real. It's not the real you. So they have their reward. Oh, that is so powerful. If we seek praise and glory from people, then we should expect nothing from God. If you expect praise and glory, if you need praise and glory from people, if you need them to acknowledge you, to reward you, to whatever they're gonna do with you, if that's your reason, that's your focus, then God says, okay, then be happy with that. That's all you're getting. But if we seek God, we seek his glory, we seek his reward, we seek his, you know, his name to be glorified, then we might also receive the praise and glory of men. But we're not doing it for that reason. You know, we, got, we get to choose where our reward comes from. We can either choose to be rewarded by fickle people who may or may not actually reward us for what we're doing. And even if they do, you know, as soon as something better comes along, they're gonna go to that. Or we can choose God. Let him reward us. And, and in case you're wondering, God does a really good job of rewarding people. He's creator God. You know, that, you know what that means? He can create things out of nothing to reward you with. If you can find somebody else that can do that, then go for it. But right now, he's the only one. Right? Yes, pastor. You should notice in verse three where it says, when you do your charitable deeds. When you do. So it's not a question of if or you should or that, but when you do it, then, then have this right attitude about it. So, so, the, so the implication is that Christ followers ought to be generous people. That when there's a need, they, they're exposed to a need, they're, they're, this, a need is revealed to them, that our natural default position ought to be generosity. But it's a generosity that needs no recognition. That if, 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 a, if a way of being generous so that nobody knows about it can be done, that's what we do. You know, the, especially if, you know, and I've had people that will, you know, come to me and say, you know, that, you know, that we want to bless somebody, and, but we don't really want them to know about it. We don't make a big deal out of it. And it's okay. Then, I, you know, they'll, they'll give me whatever they want to give to that person, and then I will arrange for them to get it. And if they ask that, what, you know, where it came from, you know, then I just, you know, I just tell them it, it, came, it came from Jesus and leave it at that. Be generous, people, but be generous because it's the right thing to do, not so that somebody else acknowledges it or recognizes it. Amen? Amen. Kingdom principle number nine, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Verse five, and when you pray, notice that, when you pray, what's the expectation? That you're going to pray, right? It's one, of the, it's one of the things that Christians do. We pray. We're not the only ones, right? Other people pray. A lot, of, a lot of religious people pray. So when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Okay, there are people pray that they're doing it for a show. They're not doing it because they're, they're trying to connect with God. They're not doing it because it blesses God. They're not doing it because there's a need out there that, that, that they're trying to meet. They're doing it because they're hoping to get something out of it themselves. 
For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Again, see, that, that's the key. If you're doing it so that others know you're doing it, and, and you do it in such a way that you look super uber spiritual, like, ooh, look at that. There's a glow around Rick. He's praying so good. Stop it. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray, <clears throat> excuse me, to your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they, may be, that they will be heard for their many words. Prayer is not optional. As Christ followers, we ought to be praying. Jesus implies here he expects us to pray. And he expects us to do it a, right, a certain way, a right way. You know, prayer has so many facets and so many elements to it. And, and what was going on here is that, is that people figured out, okay, praying is important. You know, the, you know, the, law, the law of Moses talked about prayer. And so they're saying, okay, what, you know, you know these, the hypocrites then realize, okay, this is how I can draw attention to myself. I can make myself look super spiritual because there was a benefit for them. There was an actual practical benefit for them. If they could look super spiritual, it would get them into places of authority and places of responsibility within the, you know, the, the religious system of Judaism. But prayer is, is, is so many things. There's, there's an acronym. I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard it or not, but the acronym ACTS, you know, the, the elements of prayer can be kind of summarized as adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We almost always focus on the supplication when we're praying. You know, supplication is God I need, God I want. And, um, and there's so much more to it. But one of the big things we need to recognize is that what prayer is about is that there is a God in heaven who is able to what? Name it. If you can think it, if you can name it, he can do it. And so when we're praying, we're acknowledging the, the majesty, the immensity, the reality of who God is. And then we're, we're taking that, that understanding of who God is and we're looking around either our life or the world around us and saying, okay, you know what? There's a great God in heaven and there's a problem right here. And saying, I want to make a connection between that and him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is, 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 is finding the needs, finding the realities of humanity and, and bringing it before a God who is sufficient for all of it. But like anything else, wrong motivations can take something that is precious, that is powerful, that is beautiful, and make it something that is wicked and ugly. The warning here that we ought to take very seriously is that if you pray like the hypocrites do, then, then all you're doing is making sure God isn't listening. I mean, if you want to make sure that God doesn't hear your prayers... Pray like the hypocrites do. Pray so that others can see you. Pray you know, selfishly or arrogantly or however you might be doing it. If you want to make sure God doesn't hear you, isn't listening and won't respond to you, then pray that way. What's the inverse? Well, if we pray the right way, what can we actually guarantee of? 
He hears us. Not only does he hear us, he has a plan to respond to us. When? Every time. Maybe not always right away. Anybody? You, we, you pray for something and it doesn't happen right away? I'm looking around the room, I can see several of you that you've been praying for something for a long time, it hasn't happened. God is still good. God is still awesome. God is still powerful. God is still able. God is still sufficient. And we pray that way because he is. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. Them are the hypocrites. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Now, Jesus is focusing here on the, the, those prayers of supplication. When we go to God, say, God, I need. I need healing. I need provision. I need protection. I need, I need peace. I need hope. I need grace or mercy or whatever it is that, that, that is in your, in your you know, the, 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 that thing that's big ugly zit in your life and you're trying to deal with it and it's there and it won't go away and it's painful and it's just making your life miserable Jesus says God already knows about it he knows about it so if he knows about it if he knows what we need before we pray then why do we pray because prayer is more than just asking God for what we need prayer is an act of humility it's saying that, that I have something in my life and I am incapable of doing anything about it, but I believe there's a God in heaven who can do something about it. And I'm gonna talk to him about it. I want him to do something about this thing that I can do nothing about. It's an act of humility. And we're praying because we need him to act. And that's part of how, that's part of how we make prayer right how we make it effective, how we make it good. When we go to God with those things, I mean, we, we live in a time in a culture where our needs, most of us have, don't have that many needs. Not real, not real deep, hard needs. I mean, many of you do, and I, I know some of you, that, some of them, but a lot of our needs are met. You know, if you need it, you just Amazon Prime it. You could be here today if you get to it soon enough. Praying is about taking to God, recognizing, God, you are the provider. Even the ability that I have to provide for myself came from you. It's saying, God, I could do this, but I'm going to go to you and say, God, this is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. This is what's going on. He may direct you to Amazon Prime. Okay, then do that. Prayer is about us connecting to God. And prayer should be influencing our heart, changing our heart. When I go to God, say, I say to God, I have a need, I have a problem, I have a situation, and I need help. I'm, I'm connecting myself to him. I'm relating to him in a way that, that helps me to grow in his image. And, and that's especially important when we apply, when we combine our need with God's word. We take God's word and we, and, we, and we compare our need to that and then we lift those up to God and say, God, here's what your word says. Here's what my need is. You know, can you do something with that? And what do we know about God? Well, yeah, he can if we just let him. Prayer is about us connecting to God. 
and allowing his heart to change our heart. Then Jesus gives us a model prayer. Verse 9. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, come your will be done on earth as it, is, excuse me, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus never intended for this prayer to be memorized and then prayed as some sort of a magical incantation. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of places out there that get you to memorize this and pray it as if somehow praying this prayer is going to solve all your problems, is going to answer all your situations. That's not what Jesus intended for this. It's not meant to be that kind of a thing. Matter of fact, there is nothing in the Bible that gives us incantations, these, these ways of you know, forcing God to do something because we repeat certain kinds of words in certain ways. That's a very pagan way of approaching the Word of God. It's always meant to be something that we use as a template, as a guide to the type of things that we pray about, how we pray about them, and the, and the types of ways that we address these things. And in these five verses are thick with doctrine and theology, just rich with, with the things of God. And I would encourage you to spend much more time than we're going to get to do this morning in them. But he begins in verse 9. I'm going to read these again. Verse 9, in this manner pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. So that tells us who to pray to. And that's important because there are places out there, there are organizations, there are religious groups out there that are encouraging us to pray to something else, someone else. As I understand this, we are to pray to God the Father, not to angels, not to saints, not to anything else, not to, you know, the picture of Jesus and a piece of toast, just to God the Father. We address them to him, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Why? Because he is the one who can answer our prayers. No one else can. He's the one who answers our prayers. You know, one of the things that this also teaches us is idea of father, which is the Greek word pater, from which we get the words like paternal and, and, and things like that. You know, through faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, is, that, is the sense of that word, Abba. Our claim, our claim as the children of God is one of the most precious privileges that we have. Do you understand that? that? That we as believers are the only ones on planet Earth that have the right to call God Father. No one else does. Yeah, every, you know, all the other billions of people on the earth do not have the right to call God Father. Only through faith in Christ. 
And so we have this high privilege. So when we, when we raise our voices, we raise our prayers up to our Father, we are doing so because of a very special relationship. And when God looks upon us, he looks upon us as a loving Father. And he deals with us in the same way, as a, as a perfect, holy, righteous, loving Father. And so when we pray, his response comes out of that. goes on to say, hallowed be your name. And this is a, a request that, that God's name would be lifted up and glorified. That whatever we're doing, whatever we're praying for, that ultimately it has the, it has the, the objective to glorify God. That, that whatever I want, whatever I think I need, that if I need that thing, at, at some level, at some way, it should bring glory to God when he gives it to me. If it doesn't, it's questionable whether or not it's a right prayer or not. God, give me that Corvette. I'm not convinced that's going to glorify God. It'll make Rick happy, but it may not glorify God. I can, I can make it glorify. I'll get, a, I'll get a personalized license plate, you know, that says glory to God. So I don't know what I'll do. Dumb. Jesus is, is balancing two things here in this verse. He's balancing the intimacy of a relationship with a loving heavenly father. A, a, a God who is not just sovereign in the universe. He is, but for us, he's also a father. And, and, and while we all have imperfect pictures of what that means from a human perspective, from a heavenly perspective, that is beautiful. But there's also balanced with it the, this, this holiness of God the righteous of God. And so what, it, what he's trying to balance here is this idea of intimacy and reverence. That we should have an intimate relationship with God, but there ought to be an element of reverence in it. That, you know, he's not our big daddy in heaven, you know, where we, where we, where we, you know, we, we are flippantly communicating with God. There ought to be this sense that, okay, that I, you know, he is my father, but he's also holy. He's also perfect. He's also righteous. Things about him that, that I will never fully understand that make him, make me, you know, fill me with awe and wonder about him. And yet he's still my daddy in heaven. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. It can be interpreted one of two ways. The first way is we might pray this, that, that God's kingdom would come into our hearts. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's already there. You know, God's kingdom is there. <clears throat> the problem is that it may, it may be being crowded by other things. So when we pray, God, you know, your kingdom come, I want God's kingdom to fill my heart and to push out of my heart all of the stuff that's not of his kingdom. Luke 17, 20 and 21 said this. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So my first prayer when I'm praying along these lines is that, is that God would search my heart. He knows me. He knows my heart. He knows everything about it, but I don't. I can't see all of the stuff that isn't aligned with his kingdom. 
And so I want him to show me those things so that I can turn from those and I can allow his kingdom to just fill more and more of my life. Now, the second way we pray that particular aspect of the prayer is that that same thing would happen in those around us. You know, when, when Randy says pray for the government, you know, the very first thing we ought to be praying for, God save their souls. We have godless, wicked men and women running our country. What they need is they need Jesus. They need him bad. Because until they, have, until they know Jesus, nothing else matters. We can pray that, you know, they do the right thing, but how are they going to do the right thing if they don't know Jesus? We want God's kingdom to come to them in their hearts. That's what we're praying for. God, God, break through whatever hardness is there and let them see Jesus. The second way we pray this prayer, this element of your kingdom come, is is the desire, from the desire, that Jesus would come back and establish his kingdom. We refer to that as the second coming. You know, who wants the second coming to come? Believers ought to. Which ones? All of them. When? Right now. Right now. But, 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 but what about the taco truck? <laughs> yeah, it'll feed somebody else, you know. Maybe they'll all be gone too. Maybe praise the Lord. You know, a vacant taco truck out there. He goes on to say, your will be done. There's no way I'm finishing this message on time. Hmm, imagine that. Just when we have a taco truck outside, imagine that. Long message. I'll get done, promise. This is a prayer, your will be done. This is a prayer for obedience. When I'm praying your will be done, I'm saying, God, I want to obey you. I want to obey you. I want to do what you say is right and good. Not what I say is right and good. Because what I say right and good is driven by my heart, and my heart, unfortunately, has a problem. There's way too much Rick in my heart. And because of that, I may not always choose the right things. And he gives us a standard for obedience. This is, this is, this is pretty amazing. The, the level of obedience that we should be striving for is the same level that takes place in heaven. What level of obedience do you think takes place in heaven? Perfect obedience. He's referring to the angels. You know, the angels, those angels in heaven, they're obeying Jesus. They're obeying God. When? Right now, every time, perfectly. And that's the level of obedience that God calls from us. Now, now he recognizes you are what you are. And so he does give us a place for confession and repentance and, and being forgiven. We're going to talk about that in a, in a little bit. But the reality is that's our goal. Our goal is perfection. Our goal is absolute obedience to God and his will in the same way that it's happening in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread refers to, in that time and culture, when somebody worked, they were often paid daily. So they would work, and they'd get paid. And then they'd go from that, and they'd buy what they needed for the day. And typically, they were being paid just about enough, to, you know, to meet their daily needs. And so, you know, it was, it was something, it was just their culture. You know, we don't live that way. We don't live in that culture anymore. But the reality is, is that, you know, be, you know, that, that, you know that we have needs, and they're often met even before we recognize that. 
But be, be, because of prosperity, and we are a prosperous nation, regardless of, you know, the economy and inflation and, you know, politics and what's going on there, we're still, most of us, most of us have our needs met. You know, you know, you know I, I, I've got two freezers full of food. I'm not running out of food real soon. But, you know, the reality is, is that, that where did all that come from? It came from God. It came from him. We had to remind ourselves of our daily dependence upon, upon God. Because, you know, we may be okay right now, but there are signs that the future may not be all that prosperous. Yeah, I got a garden growing out in my backyard. Why? Well, I like to grow things. But hey, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to need to provide for my family out of my garden as well or provide for others. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. You know, if you haven't gotten any, see Kelly, she'll give you a dozen eggs from our chickens. Crazy things are laying eggs like every day. If you have something or you can get something, that came from God. It's from God. You know, you might think, well, no, I worked for it. No, 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 hold on. Where did you get the ability to work? Where did you get the job from? Where did the company come from? That, and you can take this all the way back. The reality, if you have it or you can get it, it's because it came from God. And to think of it any other way is to miss this point of the prayer. God, every day what I have is from you. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, Luke's rendering of this verse makes it clear what Jesus means by debts. In Luke eleven four, it says this, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Here's, here's the, the, the transaction that takes place. If you sin, you incur a debt at the very least to God. If you've sinned against a person, you incur a debt with them. You owe them. You owe God something. And, and, and the problem is typically our sins are not, there's not a tangible value to them. God would say to you the, the price for your sin is death. Your life is the price. Well, how many of us are avail, available to do that? You know, can you give your life to make yourself whole and clean and perfect? Nope. You can't. Even if you died for your sins, it would be a sinful death. And it would, it would get you nothing. Only the death of Christ can make us clean. Only his sacrifice can do it. So, so this debt that is incurred, what he's saying to us, this prayer reminds us, one, that we are still, even as believers, sinful creatures. We still sin. And that, and that for the sins that we commit, they, they stand between us and, and God. They stand between us and God and, and other people. If we've sinned against someone, there, something happens between us that needs to be corrected. And the only correction that can happen is forgiveness. The only way to, to, to cancel the debt is forgiveness because you can't pay it. It's a debt that's unpayable. And so the only answer is forgiveness. Now for us as believers that we, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the things that we know is that our daily sins, which we all do it, we all, we all do something, we have a wrong thought, we do, we respond poorly, whatever we do, or maybe some deliberate act of sin, whatever it is, they don't disqualify us from heaven. 
Because Jesus paid for all of our debts. He, did, he, he paid the judicial penalty for all of our debts. But there's a relational penalty for all our sin too. And that, in fact, impacts our relationship with God. And remember, this is all about relationship. And so if, if, I'm, if I have a problem, if I have a sin, then the only way for me to get rid of it is to forgive it. And, and what Jesus is saying to us here is that he's saying, God, forgive us. Forgive me for my, my sins. But then he qualifies it in a way that ought to challenge many of us. He, cha- he qualifies it and says, as we forgive our debtors. Another way of saying this might be forgive me to the same degree or extent that I have forgiven others. As much as I've forgiven others, God, you forgive me. Ooh, wait a minute. That can be a challenge, huh? Jesus is going to say a little bit later that unforgiveness is a great sin. And it, and it in fact, can negate or, or diminish our prayers for forgiveness. It can stand in the way of our own forgiveness. Now, we should desire forgiveness, right? We should want forgiveness because without forgiveness, then we're walking, we're, we're walking in a state that's out of fellowship with God, out of the grace of God, out of the, you know, not experiencing the fullness of the goodness of God. So God would call us to forgive what? Everything. To whom? Everyone. And, and I know, as I say that, that's not an easy thing to do. Verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a confession. This prayer is a confession of our weakness. And we ought to do that. We ought to pray that, that, that God, I am, I am weak. I, have, I, I will make mistakes. I will do wrong things. I will, I will, be, I will succumb to, te- I may succumb to temptation. I hope not to, but I, I may. And what this prayer is saying is that, is that Lord, don't, don't, don't take me there because he can do that, right? He can tempt us, um, you know, to test us, to test our faith. And we say, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to walk with you, Jesus. It reminds us, he says, deliver us, which means rescue. Rescue us from that. You know, we, are, we can be helpless to stand against the attacks of the enemy. We don't have to be. The Bible says that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy, but we do it by faith through his word. But, we, but we're told here to pray that they don't even, the temptations don't even come. And I believe that's something we can pray. Now, God may need to test us in some way because there's something we need, some area of faith that we need to grow in, but, but we, should, we should be praying, God, only allow me what I must experience to be able to walk with you the way that you would have me to walk with you, and nothing more than that. Jesus would later pray something like this for us. In John 17, 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for believers to the Father, but that you should keep them from the evil one. The idea keep is to guard or protect from the evil one, the evil one being the devil. So Jesus ends this this model prayer with a word of praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, now this, this prayer 
can be recited in a religious way. And, and people are doing it all over the planet. But what are they gaining from it? The sense I get from this, from this teaching, is that they're not getting anything from it. They may feel better about themselves, but they're not doing any real work with God in it. Or we can do, as I would suggest, that we take this as a template of the things that we ought to pray and the things that we ought to be guarding against in our heart, the things of, you know, the, the religious habits that we might get into, that we examine and say, okay, why am I doing it? What's my motivation for praying this prayer? That's what I think he wants. He doesn't want our prayers to be vain and pointless. They don't do anything. Jesus then elaborates on this, this topic of forgiveness, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The, 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 we could spend a whole text, whole hour on this topic. But the main point he's trying to say here is that we have to be so careful to guard our heart against bitterness and unforgiveness. We, we need to recognize, and, and, and bitterness and unforgiveness, it forgets one thing that's really important, how much you have been forgiven. If we can understand and accept and acknowledge how much we have been forgiven, then, then what, what God's telling us here to, to harbor any bitterness, any unforgiveness, is, is, to, is really to despise what you have been forgiven. And that would be contrary to God's will. So what he's saying is that, you know, hey, you know, if you're not, if you're not, we're not talking about salvation, we're talking about that relationship. If you, if you, if you harbor bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, you are hindering your walk with God. You are hindering your relationship with him. And if there's anything in your life, there's anyone in your life that you're harboring unforgiveness for, what he's saying is stop right now, repent, confess, and, and ask God to cleanse you of it. And he will. Now, what he's, what he, now, now that's not always easy because there are hurts that have been done to people that just are heart crushing, life-altering hurts that people, that, that have, people have experienced. What God is looking for here is willingness to forgive. Are you willing to forgive? If you're in a situation where those things have happened, you're unwilling, I will not forgive, that's, that should be a big red flag because that unwillingness to forgive is not, is not godly. But if you are willing to forgive, but just struggling with it, that's very natural. And God says, okay, I can help you with that. I can work with that. And he will. Kingdom principle number 10. This is the one we've been waiting for. Fast spiritually, verse 16, fasting. We want to talk about that. Moreover, when you fast, notice it says, when you fast, as, as if it's something that, that Christians do, do not be like the hypocrites with sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
Fasting is the abstaining from food, though it, <clears throat> it can very easily apply to other things, that you can abstain from other things as a form of fasting. The point of it is, why are you doing it? You know, if you're going to do it, and, and the sense here is that, 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 that it's not a command because there actually is no command in Scripture that, that tells Christians they have to fast. You can't go to a single, single Scripture in the New Testament and say, you must fast. But it was very natural for a Jews. Jews did it all the time. They had all sorts of, of fastings. They also had feasts, feasts and fasts. You know what also isn't commanded in the Scriptures? Feasting. What are we going to do after church? We're going to feast. You know, and, and so the two of those are not commanded to us, but we have to, we have to recognize that there, there, it seems to be a sense of voluntary participation in those things. I believe fasting is a perfectly legitimate uh, uh, spiritual discipline, that, that we could do it, we should do it. Uh, we've done it in certain groups within the church on a regular basis, semi-regular, we haven't done it for a while. But, but Jesus is saying, this is a private thing. If you are gonna fast, it should be very private. It's between you and God. You don't do it so that other people see it, and that's what the hypocrites were doing. They were, they were, they were fasting, and then they would go out of their way. They'd have some way of you know, adorning themselves that you know, they look all disheveled. and What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you, Chuck? I, oh, I'm fasting. Can you see my halo? I'm fasting. I'm, you know, and and he, he's saying that, that that's all the rewards you get, whatever their acknowledgement to you. Oh, Chuck, you spiritual man. That's all you get. You know, it's, it's not possible to do all of our piety or, or religious activities in private. That's not possible. You know, for example, you know, if I were to fast, it'd be really hard for me to hide that from Kelly, right? You know, she brings me out dinner. Oh, no, I'm, I'm fasting. <laughs> the question is, who is your desired audience? Who do you want to see you doing it? Do you want people to see you? Okay. Then that's where your, your reward comes from. You know the problem with people? They don't always reward you the way you want to be rewarded. They may not reward you at all. Is it people and God? Hmm? God would say, okay, then I'm still going to let people do, give you the reward. But is it just God? is your desire that just God would see you do these things. Is that your desire? That's when your reward comes from him. When your desire is to glorify him, when your desire is to bless him, and your desire is to obey him, and that alone, that's when you can expect him to respond. All three of these principles look to the heart. What is the motivation of your heart? All three are things that Christ followers can and, and maybe should do. You know, I think there's a place. Not everybody can fast, but there, you don't have to fast from food to do a spiritual fast. There's other things you can do. You can fast from TV or fast from news or fast from social media. There's lots of different things that we could do if we wanted to actually pursue God in a spiritual way, in a way that draws us into a deeper relationship with him. There's things that we can do. And we need to ask ourselves why we're doing them. You know, be charitable. When, we, when we're charitable, why are we doing it? 
Are we doing it because, because you know, we want people to see us doing it and say how wonderful we are? You know, or, or are we doing it because we know that, that, that if God is God, he's revealed to me a need, he's provided me in such a way that I could meet that need, and, you know, and, and, and he's saying to me, okay, there's a need, you know, it's like, it's like big neon sign, God saying to Rick, hey, hey, Rick, hey, hey, there's a need right there, and I provided for you so that you could meet that need. His desire for me is that I would do it without any regard to who sees me, that I just do it. And if they never find out that it was me, more the better, because who knows who did it? God knows. Be prayerful. When you pray, why are you praying? You praying so that you can get what you want or get what you need? Are you praying so that you can connect to the heart of God? Now, God, you know, we, 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 take our, we take our things to God. God says, pray for what you need. You know, he, he already knows what you need, but he wants you to bring it to him. But why are you doing it? Just so that your suffering would end? Just so that, you know, you're, you're not in need? Just so that, you know, you have what you want? Or so that you can align your heart with God? We need to express our dependence upon him. And we do that by lifting up our needs to him, but we do it because he is God, he is sufficient, he is all able, and we lift up the needs of others. In fact, many would say that if you're praying, if you're praying more for yourself than you are for others, eh, there may be a problem with your prayer life, that we ought to be praying for others first. God already knows what you need. He wants, to, he wants your heart to be aligned with his heart, and that addresses the needs of others more than it does you. See, hearing from your prayers, love, adoration, loyalty to him, thanksgiving to him, or is he just hearing complaints and wants? Fast. Fasting is a, is a powerful spiritual discipline, and I would encourage you, if you're able to, to find a place for it in your life, you need to talk about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. But understand, skipping a few, me few meals because you want to lose some weight is not fasting. It's not spiritual. These disciplines, these, these principles will draw your heart closer to God, will allow you to communicate with him, allow you to commune with him, allow you to relate to him, allow you to walk with him better and better every single day. You know, we, we are called to let our light shine, but our light must be pure. It can't be clouded with our, with our impure motives. And we need to seek God on a regular basis to cleanse our heart of whatever our impure motives are and, and turn these, these, these beautiful spiritual disciplines, these principles, into something that is good and holy and right. We burn brightest when our light is pure, when our motives are right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for this day. And we ask as we prepare to end this time that we ask, Lord, for an outpouring of your spirit, Lord, as we, 
as Lord, you know, I believe your word's telling us that we ought to be charitable, we ought to be prayerful, we ought to fast, we ought to do these things that draw us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with you, that, that allow us to commune with you more personally and more passionately. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to examine our hearts and look for any impure motives that we might be able to repent of them and turn to you. And if anyone's here and they're struggling with any of these things. We talked about a topic that is often very difficult, and that's the idea of forgiveness. That, Lord, that, that unforgiveness can stand in the way of our relationship probably, probably worse than anything else can. And so I pray if that's a struggle for someone, that they would do that spiritual work with you, whatever it takes, so that they might be freed of resentment and bitterness towards someone else, so that they might be able to forgive and be free of the bondage that someone else has put them into, that they would be free to walk with you through the forgiveness, first that you gave them and that you asked them to give others. I ask, Lord, for, Lord, all that we do, I pray for a blessing over it. And Lord, as we're about to go out and eat, I pray, Lord God, that you would bless the meal to our body, that you would use this time to draw us closer to one another as we draw nearer to you. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.